283 times, 283 times, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament word for word. And on countless other occasions, there are events in the Old Testament that really are just a preview of coming attractions of amazing things that will be accomplished by God and through his Son. In the New Testament, they are closely joined together. You cannot have one without the other. And the story of Jesus giving Peter the keys of the kingdom makes a lot more sense when we look at it through the lens of history and see what was being taken away from Shebna and given to Eliakim in the first reading from the prophet Isaiah. This goes back seven centuries before Jesus was born. Shebna was the master of the palace, Isaiah says. He was serving King Hezekiah of the kingdom of Judah. And master of the palace suggests he's just in charge of the king's house. But he really was like the prime minister, the secretary of state. He was in charge of all the king's affairs of government. Isaiah has come on God's behalf to fire Shebna. One would think if he was going to be let go, it should be the king that is dispatching him. But we heard St. Paul say in the second reading that really all and everything comes from God, belongs to God, all exists for him, through him, and from him. And that means that God, he's the one that decides who on earth will have any power and for what purpose they may use it. And Shebna, he has turned out to be a scoundrel. Earlier in this same chapter, we find that Shebna was wasting a lot of time and resources on a huge building project, not for the good of the people of Judah, not for the good of his king, but for himself. He had designed a grand tomb in which his body would be placed at the end of his life. That's how great he believed himself to be. But that wasn't the reason why he was being fired. He's being fired because he has committed treason against his kingdom and against his king. Both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, where Shebna were, were both under threat of war and invasion from the Assyrian Empire, the Jews' enemies from the north. Their capital was Nineveh, and the armies were on the march. Both Israel and Judah are trying to find any means they can to avoid the war because they're pretty sure they're going to lose. They're outmatched in every way. Shebna, he's trying to cut a deal, not for the good of his king or for the good of his kingdom, only looking out for himself Scripture scholars debate on whether Shebna was trying to make a deal with the Egyptians, another enemy of the Jews. Most think, however, that he actually was cutting a deal with the Assyrians in hopes that if they took his king Hezekiah off the throne, just maybe they might let him sit on it instead. When you offend God's king, when you offend God's chosen people, he takes it pretty personally, and that's why he has sent Isaiah to fire Shebna and to take everything away everything away that meant anything to him is access to power and wealth and authority. And instead, it's going to be given to an unknown, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who doesn't have any of the qualifications to fulfill the position other than the fact that he is the chosen one. And that's where we see the link with Peter and Jesus in the gospel because of what's taken away from Shebna and what's given to Eliakim, but we'll look at that in just a moment. In the sense of the gospel... <clears throat> This is Jesus towards the end of his ministry, getting ever closer to Jerusalem and to the cross. And after all this time preaching, teaching, and healing, he wants to take an opinion poll and find out, does any of this matter? Does anyone really believe that he is the Son of God? And so he asked them, who do the people say that I am? And there's all kinds of guesses. Then he asked Peter, 
who do you say that I am? And Simon, son of John, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Christ, he said. That was a loaded phrase. To say the Christ means that to Simon, son of John, who will be Peter, he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Hebrew Scriptures, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, and a Savior, all wrapped up into one. For Peter's profession of faith, he now receives a great reward. As Jesus said, Simon, son of John, I'm going to give you a name and a job. Your name will be Peter, Petros, the boulder on which my church will be built on the firm foundations of the apostles. Then he gives them the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Eliakim was only given the keys to Hezekiah's palace. Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven and earth. Eliakim was told that whatever he opens, no one can close. Whatever he closes, no one can open. Peter was told, whatever you declare bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you declare loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. And there's the link. 800, 700 years before the coming of the Christ, God was already preparing us for the discussion that Peter and Jesus would have that gave rise to the church and gave the church its mission. It's a mission of mercy. And the church is still fulfilling that mission today, 21 centuries after Jesus had that conversation with Peter there at Caesarea Philippi. Why? Because when Jesus gave Peter the keys, when he told him that he could loose things on earth that would be loosed in heaven, that meant to relieve people of their burdens. The Jews had been trying for centuries in vain to be forgiven by God for their sins, but they couldn't. No amount of sacrifice was ever going to win them forgiveness of anything. They could atone, they could repent, but the sin was still on them until God sent his son and through him the church to actually remove from people the penalty for their offenses. And yet this was very controversial. So many times when Jesus performed a miracle, he didn't just tell the leper, your leprosy is gone. He didn't just tell the blind person, you can see again, or the deaf, you can hear again. Instead, he told them, all too often, your sins are forgiven. Well, that was blasphemy in the ears of his critics, the Pharisees. Jesus was only speaking the truth. He was healing their body and their spirit, both which were weighty afflictions that held them down. Now the same Jesus, who is exercising God's authority over sin, is giving that same power to Peter and through him to the church to reconcile sinners with God and with each other, to restore right relationship with God and with each other. That's the church's mission, and we continue to carry it out in countless ways each and every day. It happens at the beginning of Mass. We call to mind our sins and recite the penitential rite. It happens over there in the penalty box in confession. Every time sinners repent and do penance for their sins. It happens in the anointing of the sick where people's sins are forgiven, preparing their soul even for death and for eternity. It even happens in the annulment process where we bring healing and closure to broken relationships from our past. The church's mission of mercy. It's not just my job. It's been given to all of us to be reconcilers. The church is a depository then where we can bring and leave all of our sin, all of our faults, all of our failings, all of our grudges, all of our resentments, all of those things that are keeping us from truly living out God's will according to God's word and doing his work in Jesus' name and for his glory. And so then, as Shebna is fired and Eliakim is given a new job, as Peter receives the keys and is given a new responsibility, let us take responsibility for what the Lord has entrusted to us, that we who have been forgiven might become forgiving.
Let us stand and profess our faith. I believe.